The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Morning, everybody. Ten minutes after nine o'clock. It's the 23rd day of October, and it's it's water day. Now, you say, wait a minute, water? We haven't had water. No, we have not had water, but we do have the head of the Washington County Water Conservancy District, Ron Thompson, with us today. Ron, how are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Yeah, man, it's it's good to talk to you. Uh, everything, everybody. It's funny when we have water or we have a lot of water. It's on people's minds. When we don't have any water or haven't had water for a while, it's on people's minds. Right. So uh, the question I've been thinking about for three days or maybe two weeks or however is. Uh, are we doing okay? I mean, we had the great snowpack and, and great water in the spring and then nothing all summer long. Well, I don't know if that's unusual. I uh, used to have a mentor who was the chairman of our board who used to always tell me uh, as he'd watched it when you had a really wet winter and a wet spring, you had a dry summer and fall, and uh, hmm. so this has followed that pattern. The good side is that uh, we filled our reservoirs uh, in the spring and uh, had ample water so all of them ended up filling and spilling that means we've got them higher than normal carryover in the reservoir so you know i think if anything these kind of droughts point out the importance of having a a redundant resource and two Mm -hmm. having having these big reservoirs that allow you to carry over enough storage to get through a few years if you have a long prolonged drought like this Let's go back a while, uh, back when you first started maybe, and talk about the, you know, you had these vision, we've got to get these reservoirs put together and stuff. Did you ever have people go, Ron, you're crazy. We don't, oh, need, yeah. we don't need big reservoirs and stuff. What the heck are you thinking? We had, uh, you know, you always have those that uh, say we don't need it, we've got enough, we don't need it, provide for the future. And uh, the, the argument that you hear today with some of the projects we're doing is the same argument that was being made in the 80s when we built Quail Creek and and Sand Hollow. So, you know, there's always going to be, I think, a a voice of opposition, which is fine. You know, it's what makes you be better on your game. And uh, so I think uh, uh, you're always going to have that. You just need to do what you think is right and move forward. Can't let it derail you. Does it give you a, a small level of satisfaction to know that, uh, uh, you, you know, we have summers like this summer where it's been dry, and if, if you hadn't planned for the future, if you hadn't built some of these uh, redundancies in, we'd be in big trouble? We would be, but I, you know, when I grew up as a child, I had grandparents in Hurricane in St. George, and I well remember in the 50s, particularly in St. George, that they had were rationing water. You didn't mm. have green grass. You uh uh, we're very careful. My grandmother would insist when you came to the house that you didn't go to the sink and get a drink of water. You went to the fridge and poured it out. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I think when this area's always had that feast or famine, so developing water has been on most people's minds since the day the first pioneers came into these valleys. And, and certainly, I think it's on our mind today. You know, the old saying, if you have... Plenty of water, you don't, you have a lot of problems. You don't have enough, you only have one. Huh. And, uh, um, certainly this drought brings to home the drought in the last four months that uh, we need to be make sure we have a redundant, uh, adaptive water resource to meet the needs of whatever Mother Nature delivers. I think the other thing that I, you know, uh, there's always these cycles. And whether you call that climate change or global warming, it's clear to me, particularly in the last 20 years, that you have uh, your lows are lower, your highs are higher. 
but there aren't very many highs, and there's a lot of lower-term precipitation days. So um, I would suspect if we really plotted that carefully, you'd see that the median uh, uh, water is less the last 20 years than it has been almost in any deck, at least during my career, lower than it has been. On the other hand, we've had uh, uh, a couple of the very best years you could potentially have, and we've had... Uh, couple of these years the very worst you could have in that same 20 year period i think one of the, one of the questions that, that i keep getting is uh, okay we know we had a good spring we had a good snowpack we filled up our reservoirs but they've got to keep be they're, they're, they've got to be going down how long can we go without water uh, without moisture without precipitation uh, before it starts to become uh, an urgent situation well, we've got, you know, if you look at the water district's resources, and that's not counting the cities, uh, they're really made up of uh, uh, surface storage, particularly in the reservoirs of uh, uh, Quail Creek, Sand Hollow, Gunlock, and Colob. Then you have a number of wells spread out to the county that the district owns, and you have many wells that the cities own that are tapping a groundwater aquifer, and then we have had the... Uh, Fortunate ability of Sand Hollow to store a lot of water in that groundwater aquifer. That's uh, we're not putting it in as fast as you'd like, but we're putting about 8,000 acre foot of water in there a year now, and uh, hmm. that's a big bucket of water you can draw out in times of disaster. So we could go a long time, several years, if we needed to. We'd obviously want to encourage, as we are encouraging, wise use of water, and maybe. There are, there are certainly drought contingencies where we get a lot more particular about what we did. But yeah. but right now, uh, you know, most of our cities have uh, landscape ordinances. They have uh, time of day watering ordinances. Um, you know, all of those things help us use our water better. Is um, should, should there be cautions in place uh, for us as homeowners? I don't have very much grass, but I have a little patch of grass in my front yard. Should, should I be... Uh, uh, rationing myself? Should I be self-policing and making sure I'm not putting too much water on there? Yeah, I think, you know, we're in the fall now. You can certainly turn your sprinklers down to, to not more than two times a week, and that ought to happen. I found that, you know, with our water conservation, they keep telling me, and finally I said, well, I'm going to see if this is really true, you know, how the Daddy Thomases work. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, uh, they were saying you can turn your sprinklers off at Thanksgiving. You don't have to turn them on again until early March. And, and you uh, tried it? I've tried it, and I've done it for several years. I haven't lost one single plant. Really? The still alive. And I haven't. Uh, I've just turned it off at the end of, uh, towards the end of November and don't turn it back on until in March. And this year I actually went a little longer because we were having such a wet uh, wet spring. That's but, true. That's true. But well, I, uh, I think that's true for all of us. You know, plants need... Uh, uh, plants need that dormant time and right. drying out time. And so I think they do better when that happens. And frankly, uh, at least every horticulturist I've ever been around says you'll kill more plants by overwatering them than by underwatering. Hmm. And so, you know, I think it's just you got to use the resources you have. You've got to use the uh, common sense and the application. And certainly, you know, you can see that trend going fairly well in southern Utah right now. For example... Our average landscape has 35% turf. In the Wasatch Front, their average landscape is almost 70%. Mm, and, double. And so, you know, you see particularly new construction. I think, uh, you know, our home builders for the most part have adopted a 
pretty wise landscape criteria where they're not uh, uh, in areas that you don't need turf but need decorations you use different types of landscapes that are, that are very water wise so it's a you know these always bring times to sit back and think and say well what can I do better you know we've always you know I think you have to protect the water resource you have and use it wisely but ultimately you still have to develop additional supply yeah yeah, well, and, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about one of those additional supplies a little bit later in the show. Uh, I actually had an opportunity to go to a candidate forum, and, and there was uh, one of the questions was centered around Lake Powell Pipeline. We'll talk about that a okay. little more. We do have Seth on the line, though, so let's go to the phone line. Seth, you're on with Annie with Ron Thompson. Hi, Seth. How are you? Hey, good to speaking to you again. And uh, uh, your official retirement is going to be the first of the year? That's my plan, yep. All right. Well, I, I offer you my best wishes well, and hope that you have all kinds of little projects. And I think your wife, I can hear the little scratching noise, and she's writing you a honeydew list. It'd be a big one, huh? Boy, is that true. Yeah, and she, she's That's got almost the, a good reason the, to keep the ladder already set up to clean up the gutters. Well, that happens every year. <laughs> I don't know if you should be on a ladder, Ron. That's fortunately yeah. I'm pretty tall, so I don't have to get up on the that's true. Step, that's so. true. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at the statistical uh, charts for rainfall for Central Utah, and it says there's two big months. It's uh, March as 1.20 inches on average throughout history. And October has 1.6, 400 less. Now, I'm looking at the long-term forecast. All I see is 20 to 25-mile-an-hour wind. Mm. Now, do I understand chemistry correctly that water molecules stick to one another, and if you blow one or evaporate one off the surface of the soil or tree, another one comes up in its place? Is that true? I don't know. No, I don't, I've not heard that, Seth, so I don't... Okay, uh, well, I think they use detergent, so that happens a little a little more readily. But I do believe that this continual dryness and wind is aggravating the situation. I didn't have any significant rainfall since May. Yeah, I think, no question, the wind has a tremendous drying effect. And really what happens, when you don't get the rain, particularly in the fall... It has, it, it's an interesting cycle because then you have extremely low soil moisture conditions, which you have throughout south, the, the southwest Utah. Then you get the precipitation. You don't get no runoff out of that until you've refilled that groundwater bank. And um, so it likely means no matter what the snowpack is, we'll have a very modest runoff, if any at all, next, next spring. Um, with the reservoir being as full as they are, I think we can handle that fine. But but as always, uh, it gives you a time to pause and think what you can do better and how you can be more efficient to, to make sure we continue to adapt practice that will keep us with a, an adequate supply of water for future generations. Okay. I, uh, I'm looking out the window at the um, your property uh, in Central here between uh, me and the um, uh, solid waste, and... Uh, the fence, a very beautiful fence, I might add, uh, well done and well constructed, uh, should last a lifetime, uh, at least uh, for me anyway, and uh, uh, beautifully done gates in place, but no cattle, uh, 
mean, he can't graze his cattle in that field because it's got poisonous milkweed in there. Hmm. Um, and I, I talked with the weed um, abatement, the weed control people, and so far, uh, and I, I'm not even sure if they treat the weeds, uh, the poisonous milkweed, if the poison and the milkweed would still pose a, a hazard. And I think uh, I've been told that uh, sheep or maybe goats could uh, tolerate that and maybe get that field cleared because uh, with these dry conditions, uh, it appears that we might be still in the uh, fire danger until we get some measurable and, and substantial rains to maybe wet it down. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're certainly aware of the, the um, poison plant problem, and uh, I can tell you from personal experience that uh, uh, the milkweed can kill sheep too. So, uh, really? Hmm. Uh, you know, I think the plan right now is we're going to have some, some of our staff going we'll go through there and see if we can't pull and, and spray the... Uh, the poisonous milkweed and make it so that we can get cattle in there to clean that off. It would be better if we put the cattle, I think, in in the early spring and kept it from getting as big as it is this year because certainly there's a uh, load in there. That piece of property's got some challenges in terms of trying to disc it, so I think grazing is going to be the best solution, and we're working on trying to resolve that. I was, uh, you know, speaking of the drought, I was talking with my dad, who was a meteorologist, Ron, and he said the one thing to remember, even though it's been extremely dry and it's been, you know, significant rainfall hasn't happened in four months, but we got so much in the spring that we actually have twice as much water as we normally get annually. There's like, or almost twice, 15 inches in the spring, and we usually only get eight and a half or nine inches a year, right. so we're actually we're actually at double anyway. So we're not in bad shape. No, and, and you know, it's not, we talk about this record in St. George. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you hire in the watershed, there have been some storms. Not as mm-hmm. much as you like, and it's very dry, but there have been storms that that, uh, that were more significant. The uh, hopefully we'll get a bunch of that. I, my staff's always said, "Don't pray for rain in Dixie. Pray for snow on the mountains." Yeah, yeah. And it's because you know when we get those big rainstorms, it floods and it causes all kinds of other problems. On the other hand, uh, you've got to have the soil moisture. I can say our river conditions have held up very well this year. Mm. Even today, they're still uh, uh, for the time of year still higher than normal water flows in the Virgin River. You know, uh, I, I get here uh, about 5.30 in the morning, and uh, and Craig's already here. Now, Craig lives in Peru, and he comes a little bit earlier because he has some recording to do uh, early morning. But uh, I'd say maybe a week ago, I got to work, and, of course, it was another dry morning and everything. And, and Craig had this harried look on his face, and I said, what's, what's the matter? He says, oh, man, it was raining so hard in Peru and, and in Cedar City. He says, the freeways, there were puddles everywhere. And he says, it was just crazy. And I said... And he said, did you get any rain here? I said, no. In fact, I'm shocked to hear that it was raining up there pretty hard. So you're right. I mean, uh, up up high and especially slightly north of here, they're, get, they're getting plenty of moisture. Yeah, and in northern Utah is having it. <laughs> right. If you watched, uh, yeah, if you watched any of Utah BYU uh, <laughs> this weekend, they both had big rainstorms at their ball games. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting game. So, yeah, yeah, which one? The BYU? Uh, well, Boise? both interesting. Yeah. Both great games, but... Uh, I took my son and a couple of my grandchildren to the game, and about halftime, we said, now oh, we're going home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was actually snowing all the way to oh. about Nephi, and then the roads dried right up, and 
good drive all the way home. Yeah, nice and clear the rest of the way. Awesome. Well, we're with Ron Thompson from the Washington County Water Conservancy District. He brought his beautiful assistant along, but she never likes to talk on the microphone. I don't know. How are we going to get Kathy to... Right, Kathy? Carrie. Carrie. I always do that. Sorry. How are we going to get Carrie to talk on the microphone? She she just smiles. She's so beautiful, but she won't talk. <laughs> well, she does, a, she does a fabulous job at the Water District. She deals with a lot of community relations and uh, information management and... Uh, uh, has a delightful personality. She's persistent, which is a good, great trait there. So. Persistent, and she can put up with Zach, and, and that's admirable right there. Hey, if they, she can put up with me, she <laughs> everybody else is more mild, so they're, they're okay. It's eight twenty-eight on News Radio ninety-four nine eight ninety KDXU. Let's get a weather break in here. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 949-890-KDXU. We've got Washington County Water Conservancy District Head Ron Thompson with us. Ron, how are you today? You feeling good? Feeling great. Yeah, love it, love it. It's, uh, the weather's been fantastic, and again, with the wet spring, we're not panicking about about the fact that we haven't had rain in quite some time. Uh, and Ron assures us that we're going to be good for a while. We're, we're yeah, okay. We are okay. So, folks, don't panic. It's okay. In fact, you can absolutely go out and throw the Frisbee or, or whatever it is you want to do outside. Play pickleball, maybe. Well, it's hard to beat this climate. Well, we have great falls. We sure do. We sure do. And, uh, of course, Halloween is coming up. Uh, what is that next Thursday night? And uh, uh, as far as the long-term weather forecast, as you heard Seth say earlier, nothing but a little bit of wind and maybe some cooler air, but uh, no rain in the forecast <laughs> at this point anyway. I'm not sure, you know, how accurate the 10-day forecast right. really is. Well, it's really guess point. After about three or four days, it's it's guessing. Yeah. It's climatology, not meteorology at that point. It's no question you got a high setup right over south, southern Utah and northern Arizona, and that's going to affect our, our moisture pattern. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, if you have a question for Ron or you want to talk anything to do with water in Washington County, give us a call, 673-5890, 673-5890 is the phone number. Now, I had uh, the opportunity last week to uh, moderate the Washington County Candidate Forum. They had the six candidates for Washington City Council on, uh, and, and each of them gave, uh, they had six uh, uh, pre-assigned questions, plus they had some questions from the audience, and one of the questions is, what are your feelings on the Lake Powell Pipeline. And I thought it was fascinating. Four, four of the six candidates were absolutely, we need this. It's growth is so important to have this. Uh, one candidate kind of waffled a little bit and was like, oh, we, yeah, we need it, but we don't want to spend money. And then one candidate was absolutely against the Lake Powell Pipeline. He said, we do not need to spend that money. It's, there's, there's better ways we can do this. They even cited the Warner Valley Reservoir uh, to come as being a reason we don't need it. And I, I just thought it was really interesting because they don't have access to you like I do, Ron, but it really interesting to kind of get uh, their take on it and maybe your reaction to their take on on the lake powell pipeline well I, I honestly believe if we don't build the pipeline or some resource that becomes a second supply that you you know the long-term future of this county doesn't look as rose as it does right now hmm. uh, because you know however you look at it our economies are all hinged on an adequate water supply and we're painfully getting close to where we're in a where we're too close to what our sustainable yield is right now. And uh, so we've got to add other water resources. We have some local projects that will add that. But I would like to talk. I hear the Warner Valley, and certainly we're supporters of Warner Valley and working on things that will make that come to fruition. But uh, the Virgin River is a, a unique river in terms of where the water quality is high and where the water quality is extremely poor. 
And so you go to the Washington fields, and the water quality often is over 3,000 TDS. So the cost to treat that water is exponentially more costly than, say, a building a, a Lake Powell project or any other project we would build. And, uh, and so your water supply for Warner Valley is going to be chuck full of very high TDS water that's going to require something extraordinary to be able to treat it and drink it. On the other hand, uh, what we take out above Laverkin Hot Springs into Sand Hollow and Quail Creek and what we expect out of Lake Powell is down in the roughly 500 TDS range, and so it's much higher quality water. Um, so when you look at the pure economics, mm-hmm. uh, uh, one is not really an economical source. Now, we're working on things, particularly with the high interest from the federal government of trying to take some of that salts out of the river that may eventually come to fruition but it's not a it's not a short-term supply and by that i mean in the next 10 or 15 years it will get us over a hump uh, on the other hand uh, lake pal continues to move along and uh, 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 we uh, have have uh, FERC has now dropped out because of change that Congress made that allows what hydropower we need to be done without a federal permit, and uh, and Interior is picking up the environmental uh, lead, and we expect that it will stay on essentially the same schedule. So hopefully next year we'll see the environmental impact statements out and a record decision either in 2020 or early 2021. That really starts telling us exactly what the project's going to look like, and then we have something to go forward with. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, uh, I always smile when I hear that. But, you know, if you look at the, the culture that you have in this in, the, in Washington County, it's always been a can-do culture. Mm-hmm. And they sure. built, the, uh, to them, which were enormous water structures, not looking at what they needed for themselves, but what they needed for future generations. They were building uh, the, the foundation for the society. And you go throughout Utah and you see that every place. And it's really a, a, a remarkable that our pioneers have done, laid that foundation that we're able to build on it. It really is. And uh, I love that. It's, it's always been a can-do culture here in southern Utah. Don't think about that. But honestly, you consider the task that the pioneers were given when they got here was make this a livable space. And I, I, I don't know if it was probably Pete Pratt or somebody reported back to Brigham Young back in the day and said, this, this, is, not, this is not a place that you want to, to settle. Yeah. Uh, and, and they made it happen. They made it work. I wanted to go back to uh, Laverk and Hot Springs and the salt that comes into the river. Uh, how close is the technology becoming to, to make that more cost-effective, to make that water usable and, and, I don't know if drinkable is the right word, but make that water so it's, uh, it's uh, been desalinized a little bit? Is, are we a long way from that being a viable and cheap option? I don't know how. We're a ways away from it, but the technology in terms of desalination has come a long way in particularly the last 25 years. Yeah. Uh, when you – to desalinate, the hot springs have roughly a, 110,000 tons of salt that comes out of that Lurkin hot spring every year. You know, that's – just to vision that, that would be taking a pile of salt – if you went over and looked down the gorge where the springs are at and where the bridge is at that cross the river, that would be fill that can of salt plus 40 feet above the bridge. That's oh how much 110,000 tons of salt is. And, that's uh, a lot of salt. And so that's, that's a problem. Uh, it's being studied. I, I, I don't think we're quite where we need to be in terms of how you deal with the waste out of a, 
uh, RO plant, which is still too high to dispose of, like at a landfill or someplace. So I think we'll um, continue to work on it. Uh, there are studies that are going to be done there over the next few years that will allow us to get a better handle on uh, I think we know a lot about the stream in ter- the springs in terms of where they come up, how hot the water is, whether it can be collected, but we don't still need to refine the technology. And uh, and then uh, there's always the question, is that hot water, it's 170 degrees, and it's packing roughly 10,000 TDS, uh, total dissolved solids, is that mm-hmm. coming shallow or is that coming from deep up in the aquifer, is it lesser, maybe more brackish and hotter down deep that maybe you could intercept it and get it out where you're not treat so much? And those are the kind of studies that are going on now, looking at those issues and trying to refine them. I always like to play uh, what if. Uh, what if that that water was coming up in a more pure form? What, uh, would we need some of these projects we're talking about if if the water was coming out clean-ish? Well, if it was 400 TDS water, it yeah. would free up... Uh, Maybe 30,000 acre foot at the Washington Fields diversion that would be then treatable. And, and certainly it could, would delay the need for some of these other sources we're looking at. Hmm. But that's not what we have. So Right. And that's why I like to play what if. Know, because I, I know I it's not play real. what if, but, <laughs> but I also have sometimes drag myself back to reality and say you yeah. better figure out how to deal with what we have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, I ask this, I think, every time you guys come on. But again, the timeline on Lake Powell Pipeline right now, uh, estimate. Well, we don't think we need the pipeline in terms of producing water until the late 2020s. So our goal right now is to see the environmental wrap-up in the next uh, hopefully 15 to 18 months. Uh, we're starting to work on finance plans. Uh, there will ultimately have to be a, a legislative action to fund the project, and uh, that discussion probably will start late uh, in the late 2020 and 2020 or early 2021. And uh, um, you know, there's some ongoing discussions of those kind of events, and we've had several studies that both the districts funded, and uh, certainly the uh, legislative audit uh, uh, was very positive in terms of, you know, addressing where we th- how we thought we'd fund it and that it would adequately fund and finance the building of the project. So I, I think there's a lot of positive things moving forward. You're always going to have challenges, and, uh, you know, when we, uh, we changed and went left FERC, it it, uh, we think it'll be a much more open process, but it also was only available because we, you know, some people say, well, you're giving up all the hydro, but that's not really true. What Congress made it so if you have a hydro plant of less than 40 megawatts, and in most instances, you don't need a FERC permit. Huh. And those plants are much smaller than that, all of them, except for one, and we're going to take that out of the project right now. It may come back, but it will come back in a different form. We felt like it was too much of a drag on the water project, which is mm. too important to jeopardize. Yeah, yeah, good call. Now, so how much power are we going to get out of this? Uh, we're not we're not abandoning the hydro completely, right? No, there's probably about 15 megawatts of power we think we can generate. You got to remember that's not going to all happen in year one. So, right. you know, I think the things we're looking at is should we build something that will be highly functional for the first 25 years, and then as that project gets closer to pumping its full capacity, then add some more hydro at that time. It doesn't hmm. make, to me, a lot of sense that you would build a, a big hydro you can't fully utilize for 30 years out in the future. Right. It's almost wore out before you use it. So, you know, we're looking at those kind of things. And obviously there are other savings as we move through this project. Just changing the 
taking the pump storage house project reduced the base project cost by over $100 million. And we've got to continue to be wise looking at how do we streamline this so we get an efficient project, but we don't waste money on it. Hmm. Mm. Now, there, obviously, there's still the naysayers out there. Ah, we don't need Lake Powell Project, or, or we don't. We we can stop growth if we stop the water. And I'm sure you get this probably on a daily basis, huh, Ron? Well, I get a lot, uh, uh, pretty much from the same same people. You know, yeah. It's always interesting that uh, you see pretty much the same group that pose everything. And uh, uh, I think you look at this community and you look at how fast it's growing and you look at the amenities that are in it and uh, it looks to me like growth is inevitable so we need to plan for the infrastructure that will make it so we can uh, do the things we have I, you, you know you look at, I, at least this is what I look at and I've had a lot of opportunity to be involved in the planning efforts we traditionally underestimate growth in this county and have for decades hmm. Uh, just an exa- quick example, when I came here out of school and was uh, the county attorney for a short period of time, we had a hospital operated by the county. They had added, a, uh, added so it had 65 beds. All the f- data the county had at that time said those 65 beds would last Washington County until 2020. <laughs> it was within two years that every single bed in that hospital was full. And uh, fortunately, county got out. But you, but you could go down the road and look at those kind of examples all over where we've underestimated in almost every instance what growth's going to be. There there are occasions like uh, uh, 2008 and 9 when the population was overestimated. Yeah. But we were coming out of a you know you, of course you had that huge economic downturn, but we also had three or four years in there that the growth rate was considerably in excess of six percent. So, it's, you know, uh, there's this whole saying in, I think, probably most industries that use models, that all models are wrong, some are useful. <laughs> and uh, so we think we're getting better at the planning game, but it always means that as you look at a model that says it's going to be one thing, you need to make sure you know where the variabilities are and what your Plus and minus. Are. If you don't yeah. Make sure you have a plan that you can adaptively implement as you see changes in, particularly in growth and uh, you know, there are a lot of trends out there. You have a lot of in-migration in this county that you don't have in other places. And uh, although there is some data right now that suggests uh, that our family sizes are shrinking and, and maybe won't continue to grow that, that fast. Let's go back to the phone lines. Call me. You're on with uh, Andy and with Ron Thompson. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Just uh, curious where we're at with the Tokerville Reservoir. We're uh, we we're being told that the environmental documents will be out on the street uh, hopefully the end of this month or really early in November and uh, an opportunity to comment on them and we're hoping those will be finalized and, and a record decision issued by early 2020 and then we'll move that project immediately into construction. So for those who don't know what what it is is we're going to take uh, uh, the district owns the reservoir at the top of the Black Ridge called Ash Creek. And right, right, and if you right. One right. kind of example. This year in the spring, that filled and spilled. Today, hmm. it's bone dry, and we didn't open the gates. <laughs> so you know, it's, it just it will not hold water. We want to take that to a site that's more secure, where the water that comes into it can be used. So where would where would it go to then? To there's Tuckerville? A, there's a reservoir right at Anderson Junction that we've done a lot of work on. I think it'll be a good, solid reservoir. It's not huge. It's a 3,300 acre foot reservoir, but adds tremendous 
uh, abilities to manage the water resource on the east side of the county, which which certainly is needed there. So I think uh, that will be probably our next big. We're working on a lot of projects, but that's going to be uh, one that receives a lot of our attention as soon as the environmental uh, green light comes on. And that will be on on the north side of the Laverkin Hot Springs, so we don't have to worry about the salt. Yeah, it, uh, it doesn't. You know, the, the water quality in the Ashcrick drainage, which is the one I fifteen comes down, yeah, is uh, for the most part very very high, hmm. and uh, a little lower in the drainage down towards the Virgin River, not quite as high, but still potable water, and. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's interesting when you look at the history of Tokerville, the, uh, 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 the, the Native Americans had a community there. They, when the settlers came and settled in New Harmony, their chief, who was actually called Chief Toker, hmm. went up and invited them to come down, and they were growing some fruits and, and uh, actually doing some irrigating out of the springs. But there's a spring right there just north of the town of Tokerville that produces about uh, four or 5,000 gallons a minute of extremely high-quality water. Really? And that's been what the community was built on. It's also been, or for a long time, was the sole source of uh, uh, drinking water for not only Tokerville, but for Laverkin and Hurricane. And uh, then you had the water that was right watering all that ag ground around Tokerville. Now that's all gone into a pressurized system. And we're hoping that we can put a give a lot stronger ability to f- meet the needs there with uh, with this reservoir. All right, Tokerville Reservoir coming to a uh, coming to your neighborhood soon, huh? Yeah, you, you bet. All right, Ron, we've got another commercial break. We've got to get in. If you want to talk with Ron or with me at 673-5890, do want to thank Joe Shoney. He's a local loan consultant focusing on customer service. How good is he? Well, you go online to socialsurvey.com or .me, excuse me, and he gets 4.91 average out of five stars possible, which is really incredible. I uh, like this review from Matt in Cedar City. Matt says, I've done several transactions with Joe and Sue, and they always deliver top-level service and communicate through the whole process to make sure the job gets done on time and with ease. Uh, Mark from Riverside, California, said Joe was very personable and great to work with. This is Anna in Hurricane said, thanks, Joe, with an exclamation point and five stars. And then finally, uh, we've got Patrick in Cedar City said, Joe and his team were excellent, and despite that being a, a very high review, I don't feel it does them justice. Five stars just aren't enough. So you want to get a hold of Joe, here's how you do it. Email joe.shoney at nafinc.com. That's Shoney with a C-H-S-C-H-O-N-E-Y. And the phone number is 435-590-6300. We'll be right back. Down to about five minutes left on this show. If you've got a question for Ron Thompson for the Washington Water Conservancy District, now is the time to call 673-5890, 673-5890. And again, to kind of recap from the beginning of the show, yes, it has been a long time since it's rained, but no, we're not in trouble. In fact, we have a pretty good, uh, pretty good snowpack. Well, the snow's gone, but the reservoirs are full, right, Ron? They're full, yes. That's that's good to hear. That uh, actually uh, makes my heart feel good. And then we actually got, this spring, we got about 15 inches of rain. Up through May, we got about 15 inches of, um, of rain, which means that uh, that's our whole year plus almost double for a whole year in the, in the spring. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, interestingly, uh, um, when you get that wet of a year, people reacted to it. They turned off their sprinklers. So the water delivered for drinking water was down considerably. Uh, hmm. 
we probably delivered maybe 15% less water, wholesale water to the cities than we have in prior years. It's starting to come back up, particularly August came back up, and I yeah. looked at September numbers, but I'm sure they're back up slightly. So uh, we uh, used less, and we got more, and even though it's been a long time since it's rained, we're, we're in good shape. Let's go to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with uh, Andy and with Ron Thompson. How are you today? Great. How are you, Andy and Ron? Great, great. How are you? Or what's going on? What's on your mind? got a question, but I'm sure it's going to take a lot longer to answer than you have, but maybe just a quick down-and-dirty answer. How do water rights work? Uh, be, be glad. It, it probably is more than we've got time. But bottom line, in the West, for the most part, we have what's called the prior appropriation doctrine, which means first in time, first in right, and then water rights get a, a seniority. But a water rights made up of a right to divert a certain amount of water, and then what they call a duty, which is how much water you need for the use you're putting it to. So, uh, for example, and that varies depending on where you're at in the state. If you're up in the high areas like a, a Park City or even an area at Kolob, that's probably going to be around three. Here in Washington County, down in the St. George, Hurricane, Santa Clara, that duty is six. So when you measure water right, you have the priority, which means you have a right if there's water there. You have first right to it, depending on your priority. Uh, so how that works, for, for a good example, the water district has a lot of water rights, but we call them junior water rights. Hmm. And those senior rights that are usually owned by the irrigation companies get satisfied first. So we primarily put the water on our reservoirs when we have high water, which is the winter months and the spring, spring runoff, and then the irrigators take those priority water rights and even sometimes there's not enough water for all of them so they end up sharing shortages and allocations and if the river's too too low then the state has this river commissioner system where those who have junior priorities are cut off so they don't impair the higher priority water rights so, so that's in a nutshell you have to file they'll have to be filed with the state engineer uh, they keep the records along with the county and uh, there's a pretty elaborate process of how those water rights are used, and then they're bought and sold, uh, uh, much like other uh, rights to, to property. So I might have to pay more if I want a higher priority? Is yeah, yeah, if you're buying, and you, it depends on what you can stand, but if you don't have storage, you probably want to... In, in this county, if you don't have an 1890 priority water right, you're probably not getting any water in June, July, and August. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, um, and then and then what, who who decides what the priority is beyond paying and everything? Well, the states had the, that's been the the system we've had since the first settlers came into the valley. So, hmm. uh, I suppose to a large extent, the early migration by the uh, LDS community uh, precipitated a lot of the Western water law as they started diverting and using it. And, uh, and so what we had is the prior appropriation doctrine. But we also, you have to have a water right that's being used. You can't just put it and say, I got this water right and not use it, or you lose it. So it's an, there's an intricate set of water rules and laws that govern how we manage water in this state. One Time for one last call. We're down to the last minute. What's on your mind today? Hello. Even though we had a lot of water in the spring, it's still really dry out there. Extremely. It's kind of like saying, well, you had a drink of water yesterday, so you don't need one today, right? <laughs> That's why we have those big barrels called Sand Hall and Quail Creek and these big reservoirs. Well, I, what I'm talking about is the rangeland. So, yeah, rangeland is, you know, is uh, no question it's dry conditions. Yeah, so we still need, we still need rain to keep the, keep the plants and the grass alive. Good call. Yeah, you're right. Okay.
Yeah, thanks for the call. Thank Appreciate you. that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, we we have a lot of water, but it's not, it's not necessarily everywhere. No, for no, sure. But it does make it, you know when you have that stored water, it can make everything <clears throat> a little better. All right. I, I might just make one quick. We've had the desert garden with the. A scarecrow fest. We had fifteen hundred people come to the open of that, and uh, for people, if they want to, just a fun little afternoon to walk through and look at the desert landscapes and look at the scarecrows. 